So, uh, as Dave pointed out, you know, you kind of look around the world and, and there's some sad things that have happened, right? Um, basketball great Kobe Bryant was killed in a, a plane, uh, excuse me, a helicopter accident last week. Yesterday I presided over a funeral for a 17-year-old young man who was just hit walking along a, a gravel road. And uh, you know, what that tells me is that life is fragile. Life, um, it's not always guaranteed. Tomorrow's not guaranteed. But the thing is, Jesus has entered the pain of this broken world. And he's, came, he's come to deal with that. And again, you know, talking about what's going on in China, this coronavirus crisis that's going on there. I mean, if you get it, what hope do you have? You're stuck, right? It's, it's like, what am I going to do? You just get quarantined and you hope you're not going to die from it. You hope somehow your, your system is able, able to overcome it. What if that happened to us? What if we contracted that virus? Again, what's the hope? You, you just get quarantined. You're cut off from your family. You're cut off from society. And you're just hoping that you can ride it out. You're hoping that, you know, things go okay, but it, it might not. But what if you start to hear a, that there's this man of God who's come. And he is healing people. He's caused the blind to see. He's made the lame to walk. He's even dealt with sickness, even a virus like yours. And he's coming to your town. What are you going to do? Perhaps you're going to try and get within earshot of him and call out to him that he might come and help you, that he might show mercy on you somehow. And what if that man heard your cries and somehow with his connection with the living God, you are healed. How would you respond? How would you respond after you had this kind of, you know, almost death sentence over your head cleared away? How would you respond to that? Would you go, hey, thanks, that's great. I got things to do. Or would you stop and say, thank you. And praise God. And is God, is God doing something in my life that should make me change the direction I'm living my life? This is kind of what happens with Jesus today as we're in the Gospel of Luke and we're going to be in chapter 17. And you're going to see that there are some people who are stuck with a disease that's incurable or doesn't seem to be any cure for it. And they call out on Jesus' name, and he gives them what they ask for. But how they respond afterward, well, that's, well, that's another thing. So, if you have your Bibles, we're in Luke chapter 17, verses 11 through 19. And we can read together. Now, on his way to Jerusalem, 
Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. Now as he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. And they stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity upon us. And when he saw him, them, he said, Go, show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, he came back, praising God in a loud voice. And he threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. And Jesus asked, Were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? And then he said to him, Rise and go. Your faith has made you well. So let me pray for us, and then we'll get into God's Word today. Lord Jesus, you have entered this broken and hurting world to deal with it. And that we can't have hope. We can't have peace in you. So open the eyes of our hearts today, today, Lord, to show us what you have in your word. Show us, Lord, how you would have us change, how you would have us respond to the great salvation that you bring. And Lord Jesus, in your name I pray these things. Amen. Okay, so if you've been with us in this Gospel of Luke, you know that Jesus is bringing the kingdom of God. It's coming to earth. And if you notice, he's on his way to Jerusalem. Now I know I've pointed this out a lot. In fact, this is like the sixth or seventh time since chapter 9 that this has happened. But this is not just merely trivia. Jesus has a purpose in going to Jerusalem. He's going there to die. He's going there to die. And he has this in the back of his mind, even as he's ministering in his last days. But he's going there to die to set people free. People who are oppressed. People who are destitute. People who are in bondage. People who are blind. And it's not just a physical ailment. It's spiritual. When Jesus enters into his public ministry, this is what he says in the synagogue in Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. And he has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery for the sight of the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So here's what I want you to see just at the outset of this passage. Jesus is going to Jerusalem, right? To die. That's his mission. And that mission is to set people free. So Jesus' mission is mirrored by his ministry in this passage. See, what Jesus does in setting people free physically from disease, sickness, blindness, 
in this case, leprosy. Jesus does spiritually in going to the cross to pay sin's price that we might no longer be bound to the dread of sin and death, to the wrath and be slaves to sin. You see, this physical encounter is really a representation of what Jesus has come to do in setting people free. And here's what else I want you to note in this first verse 11. He's traveling along the border between Samaria and Galilee. This is kind of the outskirts of kind of proper Jewish society. This is kind of the, the seedy neighborhood, if you will, of Israel or Palestine. Okay? Good, devout Jews don't usually go in these neighborhoods. If they do, they're going through very quickly. Because this is where the Gentiles live. This is where the Samaritans live. And good Jews don't want to be exposed to being unclean. And we know about the conflict between the Jews and the Samaritans. The Samaritans were considered half-breeds, Jews that had married into Gentile families and heretics. Their temple was on Mount Gerizim. And they only believed in the first five books of the Bible. They were kind of discounting the rest of, of the law, or the law and the prophets, if you will. So this place is probably what was called Beth Shan, one of the ten cities of the Decapolis. Again, this is a place where good Jews don't hang out. But Jesus is on a mission. He's on a mission to say, seek and save the lost. He's on a mission to reach out to those who maybe the rest of the good Jews, the good godly people per se, have rejected. And it's the heart of God. Jesus goes to those whom the world has written off. But it's interesting. Jesus is on the outskirts of good Jewish society. And he runs into the outskirts of the outskirts, if you will. He runs into this, these lepers. These lepers. These people who had to kind of stay on the outside of town. Now the term leprosy could be used for many infectious skin diseases. Okay? It wasn't just what, what we probably would note as what modern medical history would call Hansen's disease, which is a terrible disease that affects your nerves. You start to lose feeling or feel like you've got needles running through your, your extremities. It's crippling of your feet. You get sores, you get ulcers, and you might experience disfigurement. And the fear is that if you have this disease, it's contagious. It's like Pastor Nathan last week, right? We don't want to be around these people because we don't want to get this. We don't want to accrue this disease. And so they were to keep 50 paces from everyone. And whenever they came near somebody, they were in sight, they were just to say, Unclean! Unclean. But not only were they a health hazard, but they were considered unclean as far as worship is concerned. You can read about that in Leviticus chapter 13 and 14. You had to live outside the camp. You were ostracized. 
not only from the people, but from God himself, per se. And the only thing they can do is cry out. Cry out to Jesus. And in verse 14 it says, They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, masters, have pity upon us. Jesus. They knew his name. Somehow they'd heard about him. They'd heard about what he had done. And they said, we might as well give it a shot. They also call him Master. It's not the usual word we have for Master, which means, or Lord, which is Kyrie, but a epistata. It talks about someone who's civically in charge of something. They believe that he had some sort of authority to deal with their situation. And what do they cry out for? They say, have mercy upon us. They say, have pity. It's the Greek and even Latin term eleison. If you're familiar with the Latin mass or even the popular song from Mr. Mister, Kyrie eleison. It means have mercy. I, I need you to do something to enter into my situation because I cannot do anything myself. And I, I don't know what they thought he, they was gonna do for, Jesus was going to do for them. Give them some food. Give them some money. Maybe heal them. I, I don't know. If they needed something outside of themselves. They are in a crisis. So the question for us is, does your crisis lead you to cry out? Does your crisis lead you to cry out? If you get a crisis in life, financial, physical, relational, what's your first move? Do you kind of sit down and assess your, your resources? What you can do to fix this? Or those around you? What Mayo Clinic covers? I don't know. Do you try and formulate a game plan? you kind of get discouraged and just complain about it? Do you grin and bear it? Stoically say, oh, okay, well, I guess this is my lot. I will, I'll just deal with this. Suffer in silence. Or do you call upon the one who can make a difference? Do you call upon the one who can make a difference? And folks, for those of us who have been walking with him for a while, we call upon him, and you know what? Sometimes he does heal that situation. Sometimes he does deal with that financial situation right away. Sometimes he does mend that broken relationship right away. The other times where it's a process, right? I've been praying that my sickness will get over with, and the Lord says, yeah, yeah, Nathan, I'll do that. It's going to give you about three weeks to do it, but you know, that's how that's going to go. And sometimes God doesn't give us what we're asking for, but he says, my grace is sufficient for you, and I'll be with you in that situation. But are we calling out to the one who can make a difference? In this case, Jesus' response is both affirmative 
and assumptive. He says this, verse 14, go show yourselves to the priests. He doesn't tell them, hey, you're healed, it's all good. He says, go show yourself to the priests. Now why? Well, in this Jewish society, the priests were the only one who could pronounce you clean. The priests were the only one who could say, hey, you're healed, you can return to society. You can return to worship. Now there were some sacrifices you were asked to make to, to show you're unclean. You were unclean. You were asked to shave and all that stuff. But you could basically be restored to society and to worship. And you can read about that in Leviticus chapter 14. There's a rich man plan. There's a poor man plan. But it's there. You can be restored. But Jesus commands this assuming that he has the authority to heal them. Go show yourselves to the priests. That's not a vain exercise he's commanding. He says, go show yourself to the priests because you're going to be healed. You're going to be restored. You're going to be made new. But also, Jesus was also doing this to say, hey, my actions, my ministry... It's in alignment with God's word. It's in alignment with God's law. I didn't come to break God's law. I came to fulfill it. And so that this group of ten, they exercise faith in what Jesus has told them to do. And it says at the end of verse 14, and as they went, they were cleansed. But here comes the moment, the watershed moment. And this is for us. Does our crisis, does your crisis lead you to Christ? Because in verse 15 it says, One of them, when he saw he was healed, he came back praising God with a loud voice and he threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. And he, he, he's going, this, this is amazing. I have had a divine encounter. God has listened to this holy man who I think actually might be the Messiah. He's listening, and I am restored. That is amazing. I, I got to go back and thank this guy. I got to go back and give glory to God. And here's the kicker, at least for the text. And he was a Samaritan. He was the half-breed. He was the heretic, if you will. And so he comes back and does all this. And what's interesting is Jesus notices. But he asks, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? One out of ten. Boy, that seems thin. That seems thin for what has happened to them. You would think that, and the implication that most likely the rest of those lepers were, were Jewish. Shouldn't they return and, and praise God? Shouldn't they come and, and say, this is amazing? But the one guy you think that might have the excuse to blow this off, he, he's the one who returns. 
And I don't know. I don't know what these guys were thinking. Maybe they're just going, hey, that's great. I can just continue on with my life now. I've seen the miracle worker. I got cured. And I can be on my merry way. But they didn't stop to thank him. And I guess I asked the question for us. Is our pursuit of Jesus Christ utilitarian? Do we pursue him for what he can give us? Or do we pursue him for himself? That we might have him. That we might know him. You know, the song we sang earlier for... for Offering time. Only in Christ can my heart be satisfied. Do we seek Jesus for the things he can give us or we seek him for who he is because we found that in him is life. It's interesting, Jesus calls this man a foreigner. A foreigner. The literal interpretation or the translation of the Greek is someone who is other born. It's the same word that was used at the temple in Jerusalem where the there was kind of a, a partition here, a wall and a sign on the door where the temple of the Gentiles was and then the area of the, the temple proper and the, the, the plaque said this no foreigner or no other born is permitted inside the partition and the wall around the temple. Whoever is caught will only have himself to blame for his ensuing death. You see, the one who by earthly perception seemed to be the farthest away from God, not only did he have leprosy, but he was foreign born. Instead, he was the one who was the most God-perceiving, the most God-honoring, the most Christ-honoring in his response. And then Jesus says this in verse 19. Then he said to him, go and rise. Your faith has made you well. Literally, your faith has saved you. Your faith has saved you. You know what that doesn't mean, by the way? That Jesus rescinded the healing on the other nine. God is still gracious even to the ungrateful. But what this, man, what this means is this man received not only the healing of his disease, but he received the salvation that comes by only placing your faith in God's Messiah. God sent Savior. The one who will purchase the salvation of mankind with his blood on the cross. And this man didn't receive this because he deserved it, but because he responded to God's grace in Christ. In this gospel, Jesus will say this four times, three, three other times he'll say this. Your faith has saved you. We saw it earlier in chapter 7 with a, a sinful woman who wets Jesus' feet with her hair and anoints his feet with perfume in chapter 7, verse 50. 
We saw it in chapter 8 with a woman who had chronic bleeding and was considered unclean. And she says, I just need to touch the, the hem of his garment, the hem of his robe. And she was healed. She tried to do it in, in secret. And Jesus said, who, who touched me? I felt the power go out. And he looks at the woman when she comes before him and says, your, your faith has saved you. And then to a blind beggar, we'll see in chapter 18, verse 42. But Jesus, excuse me, <coughs> moment. Jesus is not looking for those who believe they deserve his help. Jesus is looking for those who know they need his help. Those who know they need his help. You see, there's a humility in the gospel. There is a humility in the gospel. Jesus, I'm stuck and I can't fix it. You've got to come and do it. You have to come and save me. And so the last thing I want to point out is, does grace lead you to gratitude? Does grace lead you to gratitude? See, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, do we realize how much we are like these lepers spiritually? We are destitute, we are stuck, we are unable to cure ourselves, we are unclean and there's nothing we can do to clean up ourselves. We need a Savior. We need the Savior to come and make us clean. We need the Savior to come and set us free. The Apostle Paul will express it like this in his letter to the Ephesians, chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. The Spirit who is now at work in those who were disobedient, all of us who lived among them were at one time gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following the desires and thoughts like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God has raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming age he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. I want to ask you, I don't know where everyone's at here spiritually in this room. Have you called out on the one, the only one who can set you free from sin and death? That's the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the only one who can set you free because he's the only one who's conquered sin and death. And that's where we are before we meet Jesus. We are lepers, unclean and separated from God. Only He, only He can bring that restoration, that healing. And for those of us who are following Jesus Christ, again, are we mindful of the peril we have been rescued from? Do we, once again, realize we were spiritual lepers in the sight of God until Jesus came? And he sets us free. 
We were set free from being children of wrath. And because of that, it can't be business as usual in how we live our lives. It can't be, yeah, Jesus saved me, now i got to go take out the trash, okay? There's nothing wrong with taking out the trash. I highly recommend it. But my point is this, is that Jesus came to change our lives both on this side of heaven and the next. For us to be his followers, to be changed and transformed, to be living for his kingdom, to live a life of worship. As Romans 12.1 would talk about, I urge you therefore in, in view of God's mercy to offer yourselves as living sacrifices. Not because we pay God back, no. Because that's our spiritual expression of worship. I'm living for Him. Not for me. And a heart of thanksgiving. A heart of thanksgiving and gratitude. Grace should continue to be amazing to us. Should continue to be amazing to us. And it should give us great joy. And if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. You are His. It should cause us to have a heart of gratitude. And so with that, we're going to enter into a time of celebration. A time of gratitude. Remembering that Jesus went to the cross willingly in order that we might be His, in order that we might experience His amazing grace. It's the time we call the Lord's Supper or Communion. And let me say here, if, if you're a visitor here at Berean, we practice what we call open communion. That means if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you're welcome here at this table. It's not my table it's not the table of the Breen Community Church. It's his table. And he welcomes you here.